Welcome back to Scars Left Behind, episode 14. COVID-19 has exacerbated a troubling US health trend and pro-athletes. No good time for a pandemic. But COVID-19 hit the United States as a public health crisis was well underway. The novel coronavirus has exacerbated already rising death rates among Americans in the prime of their lives. A new report concludes, especially hard-hitting, are racial minorities and people of all races with low income and a high school education or less. The report, released March 2nd by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering and Medicine, provides the most comprehensive look at premature deaths in the United States to date. A picture is emerging of how the interplay of known and often preventable risk factors, including rising rates of opioid overdoses and obesity, is contributing due to declining US life expectancy. Since the 1990s, drug overdoses, alcohol abuse, suicides and obesity related conditions have resulted in the deaths of nearly 6.7 million US adults ages 25 to 64. A 12-member committee finds mortality rates from those causes tended to accelerate in the 2010s. After shocks of the sharp economic recession in 2008 may have contributed to that development, the report suggests. This is a public health crisis that isn't getting better and in some ways is getting worse. Kathleen Mullen Harris, a sociologist at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and chair of the committee, said during a March 2nd webinar to discuss the report. The report shows that declining life expectancy among racial minorities and working class white people before the pandemic set the stage for the challenges we saw during COVID-19, says epidemiologist Sandro Galeo, Dean of Boston University School of Public Health. Galea assisted in the peer review of the committee's analysis. People with underlying health conditions, often the very conditions driving the trend of premature deaths, have been especially vulnerable during the pandemic. For instance, studies have found that obesity creates a substantial risk for hospitalisation and death following a coronavirus infection, and federal data cited in the report reinforce that the virus has not affected all groups equally. From January 1st, 2020 to January 9th, 2021, 4.3% of all deaths among working-age white residents involved COVID-19. That figure reached 10% for black residents, 21.4% for Hispanics, 14.2% for Native American groups, 13% for Asians and 16.1% for Hawaiians and other Pacific Islanders. Though COVID-19 is currently a leading cause of death, what prompted the new report was the fact that US life expectancy had dropped for three years in a row, starting in 2015. Harris' team analysed data on mortality 
of working age people in the United States from 1990 through 2017, as well as reviewing research on social trends related to disease and death. Cardiometabolic diseases, including diabetes, high cholesterol, obesity, high blood pressure, caused by heart disease, narrowed heart arteries and stroke, led to more disease, led to more than 4.8 million premature deaths, a trend that accelerated after 2010. While the mortality rate from these causes for black people varied, over the study period, at times dipping, it consistently remained twice that of white and Hispanic people, the report found. Many cardiometabolic deaths resulted from obesity-related conditions. Harris said young adults, especially in the South and in rural areas, showed the largest increases in obesity-related deaths. The research suggests that those individuals typically had unhealthy diets and lacked safe, open spaces for exercise throughout their lives. Drug overdoses and alcohol-related conditions caused more than 1.3 million deaths among working-age people from 1990 to 2017. Mortality from drug overdoses rose consistently in every state, especially in Appalachia, New England and parts of the Midwest, ravaged by industrial job losses. This epidemic of drug overdoses stemmed from increasing availability of prescription and illegal opioids, combined with a growing demand for drugs to ease physical and mental pain. The report says many overdoses may reflect despair and hopelessness among people who have lost jobs and have little education, but little research has explored that possibility. Working age deaths from suicide totaled 569,099 from 1990 to 2017. Suicide rates increased mainly among white people, especially white men, and in rural areas. Financial distress, increasing foreclosures, and losses of support from community and religious institutions likely contributed to those trends. Harris and her colleagues recommend a range of policies to counter these mortality trends. Suggestions include obesity prevention programs targeted at young people, improved access to treatment for substance abuse and mental health problems, and exploration of ways to reduce resource disparities in health and mortality. In the short run, Policymakers should prioritise efforts to restrict harmful accesses to prescription opioids and stop the flow of fentanyl and other illegal opioids into the country, says sociologist Andrew Serling of Johns Hopkins University, who also helped in the new report's peer review. In the long term, the best policy implication is to revive the economy's in rural America, Turlin says. So, I know that there's a, there is a lot to unpack, and you know, and when you hear about this stuff, I know it can get a bit overwhelming, and you probably have trouble, you know, seeing what's more important, you know, what's more of the, or what needs more attention. But the fact of the matter of it matters is that, you know, <clears throat> Obviously, you know, you're going to find 
new things that are being made worse due to, due to the pandemic. And there's going to be some highlights of what needs to be improved. But I think it's, again, it's important to, you know, especially with articles like these, I think it's important to get, get an understanding of how it's looking from professionals. But it's also a warning as well, because if we don't sort this out and put proper programmes in place, you know, we could be potentially making things worse. But I don't know, I mean, let me know what you think. Right, next segment. Pro athletes. Researchers screened 789 players who had tested positive for SARS-CoV-2 infections for signs of myocarditis or pericarditis, inflammation of the heart or its surrounding sac. Only five of those athletes, 0.6%, had evidence of the inflammatory heart conditions and were restricted from play for at least three months to give their hearts time to heal. Researchers report March 4th in JAMA Cardiology, those results contrast with findings from previous studies of college athletes, which suggested that as many as 15% of young athletes may have developed the potentially deadly heart conditions after a coronavirus infection, particularly for asymptomatically infected pairs. We're not seeing a lot of cardiac injury as it relates to COVID, says study co-author Jonathan Kim, Chief of Sports Cardiology at Emory University School of Medicine in Atlanta. None of the 329 players who were asymptomatic or had very mild symptoms showed signs of heart damage. The five athletes who were held back from play had moderate symptoms of COVID-19, such as dry cough, loss of smell and taste, and fatigue. Previous research has shown that myocarditis is a condition that plagues people who have had more serious cases of coronavirus disease. That suggests it is important to consider the severity of COVID-19 symptoms when deciding whether to screen both athletes and non-athletes for heart inflammation, Kim says. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the majority of you know, know, know this, you know, but I think, again, you know, Regardless, if regardless of whether it affects your heart or whatever, having COVID nineteen is is help for anyone, right? But again, I think having a system where both athletes and non-athletes can have, you know, their heart screened, I think that should be a viable a viable option, you know, because it affects everyone. All of the student athletes in the earlier study had their hearts examined with magnetic resonance imaging, or MRI. Regardless of whether the athletes were asymptomatic or had COVID-19 symptoms, the researchers also conducted other tests to identify signs of inflammation, besides the heart images. Most of the college athletes had no other indication of heart inflammation, says Megan Wasfi a sports cardiologist at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, 
who was not involved in either study because the other test results didn't consistently match the MRI results. We don't know the clinical import of those findings. People's hearts, especially athletes' hearts, haven't been widely screened with MRIs to know what's normal and what is a true indication of heart damage from viral illnesses, she says. What may look like myocarditis in an MRI of an athlete's heart may be a common adaptation to a sport or sustained vigorous exercise, says Shoala Gusei a cardiologist also at Massachusetts General Hospital. The new study in pro athletes evaluated their hearts with three tests to detect inflammation before moving on to MRIs. Members from the professional sports leagues for men's soccer, baseball, ice hockey, football and men's and women's basketball were given a blood test for troponin a heart muscle protein that can signal heart damage when found in the blood. Electrocardiographs which trace electrical signals from the heart and echocardiographs which use ultrasound to examine the heart of the nearly 800 players with coronavirus infection. 30 had concerning results from one or more of those tests. Only the players with abnormal results went on to get MRIs which winnowed the list down to the five players who had to sit out for a while. This paints a more reassuring picture than the prior MRI work. Results from this study may be hard to apply to the general public because of different ages, fitness levels and differing, differing degrees of disease severity of the average person compared, to, compared with pro-athletes. The findings do suggest that people, even young healthy ones, need to take COVID-19 seriously and rest when they're sick to protect their hearts, gradually returning to activity after they have, after they have recovered. Be honest, be honest with yourself about your symptoms, Gusset says. Tightness in the chest, shortness of breath and extreme fatigue after exertion are symptoms of both COVID-19 and heart inflammation. For the individual person, the risk seems low for developing damage from the coronavirus, he says. But considering the millions of people who have contracted the virus, even if it's 1% or half a percent, that's still a substantial number of people. And, you know, I'm, and, you know, like everyone else, you know, I try and take care of myself. You know, I try and make sure that, you know, I stay fit and healthy. Even though we can't really go out anywhere, you know, um, but I do go out at night for a walk, you know, get myself moving, you know, uh, making sure, you know, that my heart is doing doing its thing. I mean, for me, I don't have any, I don't have any of the symptoms, you know, and I don't want to say I'm lucky because, you know, that can be a bit of a, you know, a backhand, a backhand thing to say. You know, but I'm but I'm I'm very fortunate that I don't have any of any of the symptoms that he said in that he brought up in the article. However, I still keep myself in check. But it's important. But like he said, it's important to realise for yourself the symptoms. And you know, again, it's all about keeping yourself fit and healthy, but also recognising the symptoms. 
you know, making sure that you're not doing too much exertion and so forth, you know, rest as much as you can, you know. And also, I recently had my um, COVID-19 vaccination um, Saturday. I had the AstraZeneca, so, you know, that was my first one. Uh, To anyone out there, you know, who who hasn't had or received their um, vaccination yet, or you're still waiting, if you are offered the vaccine, please take it, because, unfortunately, there's been a few issues where people have been offered the vaccine, but haven't turned up, and, you know, again, it's their choice, but if you are offered the vaccine, regardless of which one it is, do, do accept the vaccine, um, you know, if you are vulnerable, then please accept it if you are a carer, you know. But I hope everyone is staying safe. I hope you had a, a great weekend. Um, let's all stay safe. You know, let's all keep, keep you know, going forward. I know it's not ideal. You know, I know for a lot of you, I know probably for a lot of you, you're probably getting bored. Be, you know of this lockdown but we need to keep going one day at a time and for those of you who you know I think this is I think today is the day that kids go back if you have kids and you know you're not sure about you know sending your kids back to school <coughs> you know you do you do what's best for you you like I say you know I don't have kids, but if I did have kids, I probably wouldn't send my kids back to school. But do the best you can. Keep yourself safe. And I will see um, you for listening to this episode. Um, if you want to follow us on Instagram, it's Scars Left Behind. Behind is about E. And yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Bye, guys. Instagram and at scars left behind that's behind without the e the same as on Twitter you can also find us on Facebook at SLB podcast you can also find our podcast on your chosen cast platform such as Acast, Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcast, Pocketcast, Amazon Music and Radio Public